tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. I'm just looking at something shiny here. Uh, somebody sent a, well, a letter in that interesting. I might have to research that one. But again, as I said yes, I tried to make the screen larger and managed to erase all my letters. So if you have sent a letter that uh, it wasn't answered, and you really need an answer, well, send it again. Because, well, you know, me and computers. That said... Let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit that right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell. Satan, evil spirits, who prowl about the world, seeking the root of souls. Amen. Lord, Again, I'd ask you, so many people need our prayers, Lord. Please bless Bill and help the doctors to heal him and, and all those who are suffering from COVID. And um, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Um, another friend just had a liver transplant and doing well. I ask you to bless all these people, all the people we love who are sick, be it spiritually or physically, or both. We know that you hold us in the palm of your hand, Lord. Thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's do it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. <clears throat> All right. Now, we, we're bouncing back to the first book of Maccabees, and um, uh, the, the officers, uh, this is First Maccabees, the second chapter. Now, this is kind of interesting. The officers of the, officers of the king in charge of enforcing apostasy. <laughs> in other words enforcing the the uh conforming to the state religion uh um that understand what what's going on here you could worship any gods you want provided that you also worship the gods of the state it was just a matter of towing the line in conformity uh people often talk about uh the great tolerance of romans um, and they were, uh, in, by worldly standards. Uh, however, the idea of one God is absolutely foreign to the ancient world. Uh, you got to understand the gods. The gods were immortal. They weren't eternal. Uh, what's the difference? Well, eternal means timeless. Uh, having no beginning, no end. The gods had a beginning and the gods would have an end. 
They were immortal in that they did not die the way that we mortals did. Uh, they, they weren't subject to the laws of death. They would end, but it wasn't quite death. And there were different, different eras uh, ruled by different gods. Uh, it, a com thing completely foreign to us. What they really were worshiping were nature spirits. It, it's, I don't know if you've ever heard me say a thing like this, but there are really only two religions in the world. Two religions. There are lots of different creeds and faiths and all that sort of thing. But in terms of religion... Either the universe is somehow self-creating uh, or it is created by uh, a being outside of it. And we are theists. We believe that, that a being, uh, an all-powerful being, outside of the creation, who's not dependent on the creation for his existence, brought all things into being by his will. Most people in the history of the world have believed, whether they know it or not, that that the world, the universe, is eternal. It is unending. Um, the idea of the Big Bang is a modern idea, and Einstein was just opposed to it until he finally had to admit that uh, Monsignor Lemaitre, uh, a Catholic priest who came up with the idea of the Big Bang, he didn't call it the Big Bang, but he came up with the idea of the Big Bang, and that's very significant. It means it means science in our times agrees that time had a beginning and the universe had a beginning. What there was before this explosion of light, uh, we don't know. And it's beyond our ability to investigate it. Uh, but... This universe, with its law, with its laws of physics, came into being at a certain point in history, be it 7,000 years ago or 14 billion years ago. I don't know. I wasn't there. However, most people throughout the history of the world have assumed that this existence, this, this universe, this physical reality was forever. And... Received a spiritual reality within it, nature spirits that um, we human beings tend to to think everything has a personality. Certainly, my computers do, and they don't like me. Uh, so I'm just joking. Um, the 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 idea of uh, things having spirits. Um, well. That's what people, trees had spirits, nature spirits. And these, these spirits were mythologized in, into gods. Uh, so the gods were not all-powerful. They were not eternal. They were not all-knowing. They just had a lot more than we did. Uh, and St. Paul and the early Christians seemed to have believed that the gods were real, except they weren't gods. They were demons. Uh, you know, people get all excited about leprechauns and all these, these cute things of, of folklore and fairies. They're malevolent spirits. Ask somebody who really knows Irish mythology and the leprechauns and the, and the fairies. This is the old religion. Um, European people worshipped these nature spirits and, and the Romans worshipped nature spirits. The Greeks worshipped the personification of certain qualities and virtues uh, more than the Romans did, but essential Roman religion 
was um, it was the god. Oh gosh, I'm really digressing here, but ah, it's something I think that's worth knowing. Uh, the the Romans worship what they called the numina, and the singular, which is Newman, not Cardinal Newman, not the fellow in Jerry Seinfeld uh, comedy, but the the numina. Uh, you go into a place in the forest, and it seems spooky. They'd say there are there's a Newman there. There's numina. Hello, oh, Newman. This was neuter. <laughs> was that was that live? I hope it was. That would be cool. That's cool. Hello, Newman. Yes, that's what they would Hello, say when Newman. they came into a clearing in the forest that was spooky. Hello, Newman. And you'd offer sacrifice. They had thousands of gods. They had the god of the door. You had the god of this, the god of that. And they were always placating the gods. You see, these nature spirits, including, you know, talk to an old Irishman, uh, the, the, the leprechauns and the fairies, you had to keep them off your, off your case. They didn't like people. They didn't care about people. They they were and the voice. What's they do that right now in Thailand? The voice in my head said, "Well, come live. What? What? What's? Tell the story. Tell the story." So, Father. So I, I spend a little bit of time in Thailand, and I would go. Uh, and there would be little shrines to the spirits outside of each building. So they believed, from what I understand, I could be wrong, but when you when you build a building, you're actually taking land away from the evil spirits. So you ha- you build a shrine to them, and then you give them. So they would there's there's cans of Fanta and Coke everywhere with straws for the spirits as as a, almost like really? a gift to the evil spirits. Really, really, yeah. This is all over wow. Thailand. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it's still now, Thailand today. is essentially. It's essentially a Hindu country, right? No, predominantly Buddhist. Oh, it's predominantly Buddhist. Predominantly Buddhist. Oh, I thought I thought there was Hinduism in in Thailand also. There might hmm, be some, but, but from my experience there for a month or so, it was it was pretty much Buddhist temples everywhere. But they 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 maintain that old religion of of de- of course, uh, Buddhism is more a philosophy than a religion. It sounds like they maintain the old religion while embracing Buddhist philosophy. Interesting. Absolutely. Well, let me continue with with the Shmir. This is this is a religious awareness that's completely different from ours as Christians, uh, or people who are in cultures that have been Christian. So, this was the really now Greeks kind of ramped it up a, a, a notch. They. they Personified the gods more than Romans did, and the Romans adopted this personification of the gods. Uh, the gods were nameless, faceless spirits for the Romans, but as Greek influence spread, they began to uh, incorporate that Greek idea of the gods. But religion, on a practical basis, was was what uh, Nick, the voice in my head, said uh, that um, it was kind of a voodoo to keep the gods from to keep the gods off your case. You know, they they didn't like you. They didn't care about you. They might play with you and, and you know, you know, and uh, yank your chain because, well, that's their gods. Uh, you were, might be amusing to them. But what developed in Greco-Roman religion was the cult of kings, that kings would claim descent from gods. Uh, for instance, Julius Caesar claimed to be descended from both the god Mars and the goddess Venus, thus charging him with a certain element of divinity. Um, the, the, I think Mithridates of, of uh, uh, what is now Turkey claimed to be descended from Hercules, that sort of thing. And so the gods, the kings of, of the world were to be worshipped. And you could worship any god you chose provided you also honor the state cult, and it was conformity. Now, that applies very strongly to us. 
that we <laughs> we are they're insisting that we worship at the state shrine um that we agree with what the majority agrees with that we tolerate and permit and you know, I, I think we should be tolerant people, but have you ever heard the saying, one should keep an open mind, but it's quite a different thing to let geese fly around in there. Uh, fine, you have a conscience, you believe this behavior is right, I have a conscience, I believe it's wrong. Well, how dare you, how dare you, you're condemning, no, I'm not condemning you, I'm saying I don't agree with you. If you're in good conscience, what can I say? But my conscience forbids this to me. And forbids me to participate in it. Forbids me to fund it. Uh, forbids me to uh, to to say it's it's objectively good. Maybe I'm wrong, but I have to be faithful to my conscience, just as you have to be faithful to your conscience. I think most of the people in the new state cult, which uh, which honors very bizarre things, they're not uh, honoring their conscience. They're honoring their pleasures and desires, which is different. They have thought that their opinion is their conscience, and it is not. But uh, I digress a great deal. Uh, so that's what's going on here. That that now I, I want you to. It sounds like like this is um, uh, um, uh, an encouragement to violence because uh, uh, the Maccabee uh, here. Which one is it? it's Matthias? I got to keep my Maccabees straight. Um, it was a priestly family, Matthias killed, uh, the, the, this Jew who said, ah, you're crazy. Just off it. I actually know a priest who once said, ah, the old guy Eliezer should just have eaten the pork and shut up. Uh, that wasn't what they did. <laughs> that astonished me when I heard that sermon. But, uh, the, back to this fellow, a certain Jew came forward and offered sacrifice and Matthias killed him and killed the messenger. Now, this is bold. This is brave. I don't know that that, that that's what we should take from this. Um, the 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 Maccabees didn't end up so well. Uh, the Maccabees um, uh, eventually became very corrupt. You know, this is an interesting. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we should do it. You look at Abraham and his solution to his infertility, his wife's infertility problem: take a concubine. Look at how that worked out. We're still fighting in the Middle East because those guys <laughs> had, had wives and concubines. You know that uh, um, um, Hagar, <laughs> the son of Hagar, uh, Ishmael, is the father of the tribes of Arabs. And uh, Isaac uh, is the grandfather of Israel and those 12 tribes. We're still paying for it this day. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we should do it. And if you look at the history of the Maccabees, they became terrible collaborationists, and they led ultimately to Herod the Great. Uh, they they started out as revolutionaries, but they ended as collaborators uh, in a generation or two. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we should do it that way. That's what I mean when I say the Bible is very human and very divine. All right. Um, well, let's go to uh, the gospel real quickly. Uh, this is, oh dear, let me look at the time. The, uh, um, the gospel here is problematic. People look at this text, and Jesus is describing with great clarity what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Uh, about your enemies will come around you. I think I shared with you already uh, 
when Jesus said where the corpse is, the eagles will also be, you'd expect vultures. But he says eagles. The Roman Romans carried eagles in front of their uh, legions. Uh, the Roman eagle was the symbol of that, that legion. And for the enemy to capture the legion was a great humiliation for that, that Roman legion. Uh, Jesus was, he was saying, where the vulture is, there, where the corpse is, the the, the 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 Roman eagles are going to be. Now, a lot of scholars say, well, clearly, because Jesus prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, this must be written after the siege of Jerusalem. That's crazy. That's, that's ridiculous reasoning. That's assuming there is no such thing as prophetic speech. And <laughs> think about uh, Fatima. <laughs> think about... Uh, 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 oh, which is it? Our Lady of Good Success in, uh, uh, in is it in, I think it's in Peru. Uh, she she calls the 20th century almost to the T. Um, God does reveal these things when it's important to his plan to do so. And the Gospel of Luke, if you look at it, it doesn't end. It, it doesn't say whether Paul is acquitted. And it doesn't really talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. It alludes prophetically to it. So the gospel uh, of, of Luke had to be written in the early 60s because it doesn't tell us what happened to St. Paul. Remember that Luke and Acts are two volumes of the same same work. Um, that That is the scholarly opinion. Um, they, it doesn't. It doesn't finish. It finishes with, and he stayed in his rented lodging for two years. Uh, that's not telling us whether he was acquitted or convicted. And of course, the strong tradition is that he was acquitted, traveled again, came back to Rome, was rearrested around 64 A.D. So um, this is this is a, a very interesting text of scripture. And I just want to end with this: You did not recognize the time of your visitation. That word is episcopis, the same as the word for bishop. Episcopus is, is bishop, episcopis is visitation, episcopi. And what it means is inspection. We think of a visitation, how nice we're going to be visited. Oh no, it's a, uh, it's a, an inspection. And, um, you know, one of the great jobs of the bishop is to know what's going on in his diocese firsthand. I think it's a very, very important uh consideration for bishops that that uh, uh, he needs to know his clergy really really well and really paternally and uh, he needs to know his parishes that the, the very name episcopus means inspector and uh, you didn't recognize the time of your your inspection jesus the coming of jesus was the inspection of israel the religion of Israel, the religion of the temple, was held up against Jesus, and and it was found lacking. In other words, it was all about the glitz, the glitter, the gold, and the, the smells and the bells. And Jesus was a humble God. He was the visible image of the invisible God, and that's what God looks like. And the temple refused to recognize him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they said he has a demon. Uh, what they were saying was, well, if he were from God, he'd look like us because we're from God. No, he was from God. They weren't. So occasionally God inspects us, holds us up. Have you ever met someone who's really holy? And then you realize, mm, I thought I was holy. Then I met them. Um, that That's an episcopi. 
that's a that's in a sense an inspection that when you meet a saint and that saint their very presence convicts you of your own sinfulness what do you do how do you react ah they're crazy they're fanatical you know the definition of a fanatic is someone who loves jesus more than you do you know oh they're fanatical well no they're just <laughs> they just love jesus more than you do and and when we look at a saint and our reaction is ah forget them or our reaction is oh how i wish i could emulate them the way they imitate christ so they didn't recognize the time of their inspection, and so often I don't either. All right, that said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back to letters and phone calls and, of course, a word of the day. We'll be right back. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Do call in. I'll be no stranger there. I'll be no stranger there. When all the saints come from the grave, I'll be no stranger there. I'll be no stranger there. I'll be no stranger there. We're back, and and I, I, let's go to letters. Well, all right, here we are. This is a letter I, I did part of it. I want to do it again because it's interesting. This is Jim from Wisconsin, and and <clears throat> he kind of answers his own question in a way. I, I, I talked about that uh, oh a while ago. Why was Pharaoh not struck down with the firstborn? Maybe he wasn't the firstborn. I don't know. I wasn't there. Some of the Egyptian livestock seemed to die at least twice. In the chapter 9 of Exodus, the fifth plague caused all the Egyptian livestock to die. In the seventh plague, hail struck down every man and beast that was in the open. So let's, let's look at all. When you say, I don't know if you remember that old uh, Robin Williams comedy that, that um, uh, Mork from Ork, the, the whole joke was he was a literalist. Uh, Mark and Mindy. Yeah. Mark and Mindy. Uh, thank you to your voice in my head. Mark and Mindy. Um, that, that, um, Mindy would say, well, everybody was there. And Mark would say, how could they possibly fit billions and billions of people in that small room? In other words, everybody was everybody on the planet. No, everybody was, you know, everybody, everybody who, who's the, the guy who said, uh, um, uh, yeah, nobody goes to that restaurant anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> I think, you know, that kind of thing, that, that, that we aren't mathematically precise in the way we talk to each other. So, uh, you know, that all the Egyptian livestock in a certain place, in a certain, you know, a whole lot of them died. And the fifth place, well, the, the Bible should, the Bible is infallible. It should read like a chemistry textbook. Uh, no, it shouldn't. The fifth plague caused all the Egyptian livestock to die. And the seventh plague, hail struck down every man and beast that was in the open. Finally, chapter 12 describes the tenth plague, in which the firstborn of the animals died, the firstborn Egyptians. And then Jim says wisely, maybe I'm overthinking the text. I would say that, you know, that, that uh, when you say all, uh, for a, good, a, a good example, the, the flood. The flood covered the whole earth. Well, the word earth, Eretz, it also means land. You can translate it, the, the flood covered the, the whole land. Well, which one was it? Um, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. But that's not the point of it. The point of it is, what does this mean uh, um, that, that uh, one can, as Jim, you so wisely have said, one can... Uh, over scrutinize the text all right let's see here all right this is uh oh this is i you know i i 
I'm not quite sure about this. Uh, the 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 and and the voice in my head might know this better than I because well the voice in my head spent quite a, a time in Rome. How long how long were you in Rome, Nick? This is live, and I was there for three and a half years. Then you might know this. Uh oh. This is from Maggie. I visit not our Maggie, but another Maggie. I think. Oh. I visited the four uh, major basilicas in Rome last month of October. Could you please be so kind to explain to me what indulgences I obtained? Uh, do you know that? I what think it's a planet. I, don't quote me on it. Uh, I'm being quoted oh, right now. Okay. But, uh, well, yes. I, I, think it's, I think it's a plenary indulgence if you visit all four and pray for the Pope. Um, I think so. Yes. Uh, I don't think there's anything see. extra, extra special. Sorry. Well, no, that you know, go on. That, 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 yeah, it's just it's a basic plenary indulgence. That's kind of what I thought. Let's see here. Um, uh, okay, let me let me let me find this here. Um, okay, yeah, plenary indulgence during well, uh, that was during the holy year. I, as the, I don't know if that's been extended. Let's see here. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about that. If anybody knows the exact answer, um, my my impression is it's a plenary indulgence. Um, it was during the whole year, but I think it was extended, and it's just a general indulgence under the usual conditions: confession, communion, and and prayers for the the, the Holy Father. So I think that's basically it. Um, there, there, there you go. I, Do you I, have a favorite one of them, Father, of the Basilicas? Oh, my favorite, my favorite one. Oh, it's hard to say. My two favorites are certainly St. Paul outside the walls and, uh, um, of course, St. Peter's. What I love about St. Peter's is it's a breathtakingly beautiful building. I mean, it's just it's one of the most beautiful buildings in the world. Um and uh, it's, it's beautiful in its grandeur, but to me, the fun part are the scavi, the excavations underneath. When you go to Rome, way in advance, you have to look for uh, reservations, for tickets to go to the scavi. That's Italian for excavations. And uh, you can actually see some of the bones of St. Peter, where they were found, uh, that that. The entire history of the Basilica, when you go to these places like Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, Church of St. Peter's, you got to research, research them ahead of time. There's lots of uh, uh, um, resources on the web, but you have to research them ahead of time or you won't know what you're looking at. Uh, in, the, in the second century, it seems a monument was built over the, the remains of St. Peter by the first Christians, and that developed into uh, a shrine which Constant, over which Constantine built a church. And then the current Basilica of St. Peter's replaced the Constantinian Basilica uh, because it was falling apart. However, the church of St. Paul outside the walls um, was in a terrible fire. Uh, the Pope at the time was on his deathbed, and he kind of came to and said something awful is happening. They didn't want to tell him that St. Paul's was burning down. Well, much of it burned down, but they were able to restore it to its pristine condition. And it looks just like when Constantine built it, essentially, uh, um, it, I think Constantine built uh, St. Paul outside the walls, uh, but it, it, it's the classical basilica. It's gorgeous. So those two churches are, are amazing. Uh, Holy Cross in Jerusalem has been kind of 
oh, uh, sort of, uh, well, I don't want to say, what's the proper word? It has been altered by the ages. Each generation comes in and puts stuff in that they think looks nice. St. Mary Major, they've done the same thing, uh, but not as completely as uh, Holy Cross in Jerusalem. Um, is that is one. Is that one of the major basilicas? Saying, "Am I getting my basilicas?" There's seven basilicas. Uh, um, uh, oh no, it's Saint John Lateran. I'm sorry, I'm Holy Cross, Saint John Lateran. That's one of the four major basilicas, and that's that is the Cathedral of Rome. Saint Peter's is not the Cathedral of Rome. It's a shrine uh, in honor of Saint Peter. But Saint John Lateran was <clears throat> built, uh, developed. Uh, as a building uh, from a, a residence that Emperor Constantine gave to um, the Bishop of Rome at the time. I think it was St. Sylvester. Which we celebrated uh, so, last week. Yeah, we celebrated that feast last week. That's true. So, uh, uh, the the uh, but St. Mary Major has some just extremely beautiful and extremely valuable mosaics that really do go back to a much earlier period. They're, they're, they're beautiful. So all those churches are, are worth seeing. And, and, and so I, I, but I, I think that indulgence is still there. It, it was, I can't think, I, I think, but I'm not sure, held over from the whole year. Well, I've answered the, your question um, much more thoroughly than needed to be done. All right, let's, let's go to another letter here. All right. Let me click on that, and then here's this one. All right, okay. <clears throat> in the no- this is from Mercedes <clears throat> in Philadelphia. In the Novena prayers to the Sacred Heart of Jesus or the Infinite Progress, is O Jesus, you said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What does it mean about heaven and earth passing away? All right, let me grind an axe. Are we ready? Heaven in Greek is uranos, and it's usually in the uh, the plural. It means the sky. The word for sky and the word for heaven is the exact same word uh, in Greek. We use the word heavens uh, uh, similarly. Uh, that that um, oh look up in the heavens. Uh, there are clouds. We don't say it much anymore, but the word heaven uh, just refers to what is up. And I often tell you that we don't go to heaven when we die. We are adopted into that relationship, which is God. Uh, um, that's a, a biblical concept on which Cardinal George was very big. Uh, to be made sons and daughters of God, to be brought into that family which is God. Remember, uh, St. John Paul the Great said that uh, um, uh, your family is like a family. The Holy Trinity is the perfect family, perfectly one, perfectly three. And the purpose of our life. We read in Romans, the eighth chapter, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might become the first of many brothers and sisters. In other words, the only way that God can adopt us is to make us look like Jesus. So that's what's going on, this process of adoption. And also, look at what Jesus said to St. Dismas, the good thief on the cross. He said that... um, uh, when he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And we, of course, automatically think that means kingdom of heaven. And I tell you to the point of being tedious that no, kingdom of heaven really means the royal nature of God. When you come into your royal inheritance, remember me. Uh, um, and Jesus responds to that by saying, this day you will be with me in paradise. In other words, the good thief is recognizing the kingship of Christ, even though he's crucified and crowned with thorns. You know, that, that, that Jesus said uh, at one point to the disciples, I will not drink the fruit of the, of the vine with you until I drink it new in the kingdom of heaven. And when did he next drink wine? He drank this, this uh, bitter, cheap wine mixed with water. It was the fruit of the vine. Uh, he drank that on the cross when they put a sponge to his lips on a branch of hyssop. Um, he drank the fruit of the vine. So the cross is the kingdom. Huh? The cross is heaven when you die. No, the cross is the kingdom. And what that means is God showed his nature on the cross. That the nature of God is sacrificial love. The royalness of God, what God's royalty is like was shown on the cross. And St. Dismas the good thief recognized it. He, he looked at this fellow dying next to him and this bloody pulp crowned with thorns Dismas realized, St. Dismas realized that that it was not a, a, a cross, but a throne. And the crown of thorns was a royal crown. And so he says, remember me when you come into your royalness, your royal inheritance. And Jesus responds by saying, this day you will be with me in paradise. What was paradise? Paradise was the walled garden where the king walked in fellowship with his friends. You see, it's a word that comes to us from the Iranian language, um, the, the, uh, the Persian language, Persian-Iranian, same deal. Uh, that, that the Shah, the, the king of kings, <clears throat> could not speak and he was not spoken to. When the king of kings said something, it was law, it could not be retracted. It was a done deal. You can't live that way. So in his private apartments which adjoined to which it was adjoined a, a garden possibly a hunting preserve it wasn't just a little garden it was a huge garden it was it was a a, a game preserve uh, well there were people who were called friends of the inner chamber friends of the bedchamber nothing untoward in that uh, necessarily um, but they were people who could address the king and they were companions of the king. I don't think they took it too far because kings can often have bad tempers, but they could speak to the king. You can't live in this kind of static uh, aloneness. So the king had to, had these friends and they w had the privilege of, of w being in his private apartments and in his garden. And the word for that garden was paradise. So when St. Dismas recognizes the royalness of, of Christ on the cross, Jesus says, today you will be with me in my, in my private garden. That's so we don't go to heaven. We go to paradise, the private garden of the king, where we walk in fellowship with the king as his family, as his closest, as his closest companions. Uh, so that said, when Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, he's talking about uh, this this uh, this created world. The heaven heaven is created by God. Uh, what won't pass away is the 
the uncreated and eternal Holy Trinity with whom we will have uh, fellowship. So, so yeah, the, the created world, which includes these these other dimensions. We're, we, we were talking about dimensions as Christians uh, before it was cool to talk about dimensions. We were sci-fi before sci-fi. We realized there are different dimensions. There's a, a physical dimension, a spiritual dimension, the dimension in which we live, which is kind of in between, and so on. So, yeah, the heavens and the earth will pass away. Everything that God has created, he will allow to fall into non-existence. But the paradise of intimacy with God will never pass away. So, no, well, at least that's my opinion. Okay, we are going to take a break. We're going to come back with a word of the day, which I'm afraid will be extensive. for the word of the day. Uh, this may be a silly word, but I, I just, I saw it in the text and I thought, what is that word in Greek? <laughs> so, I mean, don't we ask ourselves that question all the time? In Luke, the gospel, 19th uh, verse, uh, <laughs> the voice of my said, surprisingly, no. <laughs> That's what I, I ask myself that constantly. What would this be in Greek? Luke, the 19th chapter. Uh, you know, everybody should learn a little Greek. I always say it's not that hard. Every three-year-old in Athens spoke it. Okay, Luke, the 19th chapter. I think this would be the 46th verse. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What is a den? I mean, we think of a den. You know, the den is the room where the television is. And and it's a room that, well, is not always necessarily cleaned up at the end of the day. Because, well, dad's been in it being a bit of a couch potato and well it can wait till tomorrow it's not the room in which you necessarily entertain <laughs> the uh in chicago oh this has nothing to do with anything but it's fun in chicago chicagoans we have our own dialect and we talk about the front room the front room the front room the front room everybody people actually oh that's the french room no it's the front room french room that's when when guests come you sit in the front room and that's the only time you sit in the front room my brother had a lovely front room and uh every thanksgiving we would go sit in it for five minutes and then go back to the den so the uh yeah the the uh so what's the word for den it's spelion you heard of a spelunker that's someone who 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 explores caves it's a cave you have made it that's a house you know uh this is this is a gorge i just told you about the temple that it had it was 10 stories plus of gold plate in the front supposedly i mean and they had a, a grapevine around the door with with uh, uh gold solid gold grapes that were the size of grapefruits I mean, this was an incredible building, and Jesus is calling it a cave. I think that that's really, really something. He said, this this isn't a gorgeous building. This is nothing but a cave. So um, that's the word in the text. It isn't It isn't a knotty pine uh, rumpus room. No, it's a cave, a dirty, filthy cave full of bats and what bats leave behind. So with that thought, let us go back to a few letters, all right? Let's see here. Okay. 
All right. Uh, this is somebody who. Oh, I, 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 I read that one. Let's see here. Let me. Okay. Uh, I, this is a lovely letter from Christine. Out of sweet memory, brought up by Father Simon. That is a little lunch. This nice custom extends to northern New Hampshire. The family is of Canadian uh, uh, descent. My father had 11 brothers and sisters, and our home was graced with relatives most Sundays. After Mass, there was always a delicious dinner of roast pork, beef, or lamb. Entertainment was card playing uh, with laughter uh, and the serious win of pennies and nickels. However long they played, no one left until after a little lunch. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. I thank God for the gift of hospitality and the service that I learned from my parents. Uh, oh, God bless you. And thank you, Nick. She says, I like your interspersed comments. Peace from Christine. Yeah, I, I just a refresher. There was a word uh, uh, that Jesus said, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite those who can repay you, but invite the poor. Um, and the word I looked, I thought, what is lunch in Greek? And I looked at the word Ariston and I looked it up. It means a meal that is not pegged to a specific time of the day. And I thought, that's exactly what rural Minnesotans mean by a little lunch. You know, you got breakfast and then you got dinner and then you got supper. And then at two in the morning, if you're peckish, well, you might have a little lunch. Uh, it's, it's, it's a farm thing because, well, they need the calories. I wish I did. All right, moving along. Let's see here. What, what are we doing? Oh, we got plenty of time for more letters. Okay. All right. All right. This is from uh, Jordan in uh, Minneapolis, or rather St. Paul. Yesterday during Mass, I was thinking about the word liturgy. For example, there are liturgies of the word, liturgies of the Eucharist, liturgy of the hours. Does it have anything to do with the word litany? No, not that I know of. Um, well, let me let me let me think about that. The word liturgy is is a Greek word, of course, as everything in our religion essentially is. Um, the the word liturgy means the work of the people, and uh, it, it, but that's in the Greek context. That's that's much more. Uh, it, it's it's much more well it's different uh it means when we say the work of the people we think in english well it's something people do no it's not something people do it's the obligation of the community uh that's that's what a liturgy was in greek and it was usually a, a public performance of a sacred drama the sacred drama um, they would have these wonderful poetic cycles, like like uh, uh, Oreste, the, the Oresteia would have been performing the liturgy. And very interestingly, that for these these dramas about the 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 founding myths of of community, its relationship to the gods, they would wear masks to be an actor in an ancient uh, drama, especially liturgical drama. Uh, you. Could, you had to have a beautiful body and a beautiful voice. You have the, uh, a face like the backside of a mud fence because no one saw your face. You wore these masks in which there were these, these megaphones uh, so that you could reach the cheap seats. But you, you entered into the person of, of, of the story. And this was a, a matter of public worship. 
and the community was obliged at certain times to provide this service. That's a liturgy, and it was the work of the people. What people? When when we hear that in in English, modern English, well, we can do what we please. This is our thing, you know. Uh, we can change the words. We can, no, no, no. It belongs. The liturgy is is that that obligation of the whole people of God. In other words, the people of God, the Catholic Church. You've heard me say, the word Catholic means universal. The Catholic Church is universal throughout space and time. In other words, if I cut myself off from what the apostles Peter and Paul did, if I cut myself off from the medieval church, if I cut myself off from the church of the 25th century, unless Christ comes soon, I'm not truly universal. I'm not truly Catholic. You know, that that we can't divorce ourselves from the tradition. The tradition restates itself in, 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 in a language understandable to the world in which it it, it exists. That's always happened. And I'm not talking about going from Latin to English or English to Latin. But but the liturgy uses the, the vocabulary of a certain people. But it never is divorced from what went before. So it's the work of the people. What people? The people of God throughout time and space. That's what liturgy is. Well, litany actually comes from uh, uh, the Greek word uh, lite, which means prayer. Uh, the the L I T in, in in liturgy comes from well, you know I'm wondering I'm wondering I'd always it was, thought it was the uh, I'm I'm quite sure it comes from Laos which means the people let me let me just look that up just to make sure I'm I'm not whistling Dixie Lite means prayer uh, um, it, it uh, I think it can even mean a magical incantation uh, hmm. Okay, hold on. I, I'm sorry to do this, but once again, lost time. Listen, oh, dear. Liturgy. Uh, well, well, we don't need the elevator music. I'm there. All right. Okay. Liturgy. Liturgy. Um, mm, I'm, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Hold on. I'm, I'm clicking away. I, 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 I mean, I've. this is what I was taught, and I'm wondering... I'm wondering, uh, uh, no, it is work of the people. It's from Laos, Liturgia. Uh, uh, La, yeah, it's work of the people. So they told me the truth in seminary. But you got to understand, it's the people of God. It's not just the work of our little community of people who like things Danish modern. So uh, I hope that helps. But but the word litany comes from repeated prayer, litania. Okay, now, so let me go to another letter here. But that's an excellent question. Okay, okay. Our pastor has placed a kneeler in the center aisle for those who like to kneel and receive the Eucharist on the tongue while kneeling. Is the procedure for us to bow, kneel, say amen, or just kneel and say amen and receive? Some of us need a refresher. The, the posture for receiving communion in the United States as, as mandated by the, um, um, as I understand it, by the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is standing and in the hand. However, the right to receive communion on the tongue and the right to receive communion while kneeling, you can receive it while standing on the tongue, 
<laughs> that, that doesn't sound right. You can receive it on the tongue while standing. You can receive it on the tongue while kneeling. You can receive it in the hand while standing. You can receive it in the hand while kneeling. It's, it's uh, you, not you can, but you may. Um, though the, the position that's mandated is, I believe, standing and uh, um, uh, in the hand. And the COVID restrictions uh, of the past made it a little more emphatic, but uh, I think in most places those have been lifted. Um, uh, that's, that's the best. Um, I am so happy this option is being given. As he told us, the Eucharist was found in the bathroom last month. Now to move on to another topic. I have found the Blessed Sacrament in the darndest places. And the Eucharist, look up the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. You'll be interested. The bishop who certified it was, was a certain Jorge Bergoglio. He asked an atheist doctor to look it up. That atheist is now a devout Catholic. But um, it's a, a host visibly turned to the flesh, uh, to flesh and blood after it had been profaned. Uh, yeah, I find people, you know, uh, I think we may need to revisit this. Uh, when I was young, people knew what the Eucharist was and they had a great respect and reverence for it. And so receiving while standing in the hand, there was still great reverence. You bowed, you're supposed to bow, received the communion in the hand, held as if a throne, the early church father said, then moved to the side and consume it reverently. Now, of course, kids run up, grab, it, grab the lucky chip and run back to their pew. And sometimes they just drop it or throw it away because they don't want it because it doesn't taste like candy. Um, kids back then saw their parents receive with reverence. That was three generations ago. Three, not two, three generations ago. And reverence for the Holy Eucharist has pretty much been lost. And I really do think we need to revisit the issue. Uh, I think it is a profound thing when the um, when children see their parents kneeling and waiting. How often does a child see his parents on his knees? This is weird. What's what's all this about? Uh, and uh, the the receiving in the hand was a Reformation gesture that the hands of the priest weren't sacred. I, I I do not think the hands are more sacred or less sacred than the tongue. That's not the issue. Uh, is this a, a, a refutation of the uniqueness of the presbyterate? Well, that's a different issue. But I really think that we need to reconsider the posture for communion because it is a good catechetical thing for children to see their parents kneeling and waiting. Uh, that's just my opinion. On the other hand, do what your bishop tells you to do. Obedience is pleasing to the Lord. Without obedience, the scriptures tell us in the letter of the Hebrews, it is impossible to please God. So you may think you're doing something bold and brave when you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, obey your bishop because that's pleasing to God. But on the other hand, I would say it may be time to reconsider this because... Uh, People are forgetting what, what that is. I always tell people the most expensive meal you will ever eat <laughs> is at Mass. It was cost the, the price of the, the, the blood of the Son of God on Calvary. Um, well, it has been once again great fun talking to you. And um, uh, I, I just, it, again, thank you so much for your generosity. This is such a privilege. And... Uh, such a joy for me, and I, I hope you enjoy it too. But Drew's coming up, and that definitely will be enjoyable.